Hello, it is Bootstrapped Web. I closed down Twitter so that we can record, and uh, here we are. Never close Twitter. <laughs> I'm what's lying. Up, Ryan? It's, it's, <laughs> what's up, man? It's, it, you know, I'm lying. Twitter is actually still open right here. We were just saying, like, before we do anything, you always have to t- check Twitter one more time. So, yeah, Look, here we are. What are you going to do? You got to admit it, admit your problems, face them head on, and continue on with them like nothing ever happened. Brian, what's happening, man? It's Friday. I'm in a good mood. We had a good week. I'm trying to go to a drive-in movie tonight. Oh, yeah? Like an adult, they're, like go they're out. Making a, they're making a comeback this year, the, the drive-ins. Right? It's pretty cool. <laughs> so my, my sister-in-law and her husband and their kids moved to Portland. They got here about a week ago. Well, two weeks ago now. Uh, they, from, uh, they flew, from New York? From New York. They flew right into the smoke. <laughs> so we came in and they quarantined and couldn't leave the house. So it was a bit of a rough introduction to Portland. But the smoke has cleared. They got their COVID tests. They're all good. We went apple pickings. Now we get like a few months with literally one block away. So the cousins oh, are together. Cool. So everything's awesome. It's awesome. Nice. Nice. And that's it. So we're going to try to go out with them, leave the kids with a babysitter. Just try to move towards some semblance of normal routine and life and experiences. We just booked an Airbnb for uh, middle of October in uh, at a house up in Northern Vermont, trying to you know, we'll, we'll do some looking at the leaves and hanging out in some, some house up there. And <laughs> looking at and, the leaves uh, up there is surprisingly satisfying. It's fun, so man. Beautiful. You know, we actually got this place like on a lake. Um, yeah, it should be fun. Bring the kids up there for, for a week. Looking and, at leaves uh, from across the lake, even better. That's right. That's right. Cool. What do we got today? We have, we have whatever comes to mind. I have a few things written down. Yeah, I think we've got a lot of random stuff, you know, like, like always we're, we, you know, we hop onto Twitter like a, a minute or two before we hit record just to see, you know, if uh, there are any topics that people can suggest. So we've got a couple of, a uh, couple of responses so far that we could, we could walk through and talk about what, what's on our minds. I like how much we flex at how organized and like professional this <laughs> podcast is right oh, when yeah. it starts. Yep, exactly. Thanks everybody for sticking with us. Now we, we, we do have some stuff on Twitter and I have a few things from internally from Carthook over the past week. Yeah, some interesting new experiences for sure. Where do you want to start? Yeah, not a whole lot new on, on process kits, sort of uh, more of the same, like just shipping features. We just shipped uh, dynamic roles. So you could you could have like a, a large team and have like multiple writers or multiple managers or multiple whatevers and, and dynamically assign the role. So that's all out now. And and now we're working. We're about to ship next week uh, liquid tags. So you can do really powerful. So if you're familiar with liquid tags in like email marketing tools and stuff, you could because we have a bunch of custom fields in, in Process Kit. You could take whatever you put into fields and use liquid tags to like throw them anywhere else in the in the app. Like dynamically pass data around to different different places okay. and cool so like i used to merge excel fields into a word doc and think i was pretty fancy yeah just for the web <laughs> i'm basically trying to like squeeze in all these like big features before my my main dev like leaves the agency <laughs> that's what i was gonna ask i was gonna ask is, is there any movement on, on that front well he's officially leaving them i think three or four weeks from now so my new guy i met him and he did like one small task so far but my original guy is still the guy so, so like, I, I'm literally like, I've got this big feature and this big feature I want to do before you get out of here. So, yes, yes. Kinda. Well, look, if, if they transition from one engineer to another, this agency is the goat, man. Like, I assume that's the hope. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I had a good call with the with the managers there the other day, and and I think it'll be fine. I haven't really gone deep with the new guy yet, so it'll well, that remains to be seen. We'll see. Cool. Yeah. On our side, the the most interesting experience of the past few weeks has been designing and building our new app for Shopify. So, right, I think we covered this. The cart hook checkout is no longer taking on new customers. And we are now building a new app from scratch. It's not like changing our existing app and, and morphing it to accommodate these new conditions. It's a new app from scratch. So we've been sprinting at it, obviously, uh, to make sure it gets ready for launch at the end of October. It's been a crazy experience. Imagine having a product for you know f- uh, roughly four years now, and then someone says, well, rebuild it. So it, it is, first, it feels daunting. This app is much narrower, though. It's not nearly as complex because it doesn't include the checkout and the thank you page and the payment processing and the direct integrations with all these other things. So it is simpler overall. And what it's really presented is an opportunity to fix a lot of mistakes that we made and were just really tough to go back on. Some decisions you make and you can change, some decisions you kind of just have to sit with. Yeah. And we have a bunch of those. After four nice years, you have identify. A, a clean slate. Yes. Yeah. And, and what we did last time was, was a combination of things with, with limited resources. So we had my ideas on what a merchant wants. We had Ben providing input on the product and the design. And we worked with Jane uh, from UI Breakfast to help us with the UI and the UX as well. And we kind of brought that together and came out with the product. Now we have more resources. So we hired a phenomenal product designer and it's been interesting to see what what that does to the process. We've never had a full-time in-house designer, which I I feel ashamed every single time I say it, but that's, that's the truth. And this has really changed the process because it ends up, the UX design ends up driving the backend development and then the front end development, and it gives it gives everyone like this clarity around functionality and what these goals are and what we want people to do and where the limitations are. So it, it involves engineering to identify, you know, Rock at this point is very well versed in, in all this stuff and understands what can and can't be done and where the limitations are on this new API with Shopify. So it's really been a much more collaborative effort as opposed to here's what we want to do. And then engineering goes out and figures out how to do it. And then making it look nice after the fact. After the, exactly right. This is different. I, yeah. I love this approach so much more. Like that's the approach I, I personally take with, with everything is like, I think about the user experience first and then, and then how it's going to fit together UI wise and then what's important on that end and then and then figure out the technical back end. Yeah, I mean, I shout out to Twitter that helped me find this product designer and product designers are not easy to find and very difficult on availability. They're usually booked because they just go from one job to the next because they just keep getting referrals and referrals and referrals. So I just got lucky. You know who it was? It was Robert Williams. Am I, I am getting that? Yes. He runs that marketplace for freelancers he said that he's heard great things about this designer from multiple people. And by coincidence, they were just finishing up. He and his, he and his business partner worked together. We're just finishing up a project. So we literally found an amazing product designer and then they were able to start the next week. We're just, just luck, which 
is very very good to, to have. So the designer, they might know you or whatever, but they, they don't have much familiarity with Carhook, the product, before joining you. Didn't right? know me at all. Ne- never heard of us. Never heard of anything. You know, n- not so into the e-com space. Just a good designer and kind of dove into understanding what the shopper experience should be like, what the merchant is trying to accomplish. And now a few weeks in is providing feedback and ideas on their own that makes sense. So when we bring up a specific feature, they have enough context to say, well, well, in relation to this other thing that we just built, should we take that into account or should we not? And uh, what about the shopper? Are they going to have enough clarity that this is a post-purchase offer and not something else? How do we do that? And yeah, so it's it has shown us the value of a designer in-house. We already knew it, but this really helps us feel it. And yeah, that, that's a role we will definitely be hiring for full-time in, in the future. Very cool. Matt Medeiros is going to love this one. I, I think I'm going to hop on his podcast next week to, to talk about this more. But uh, I decided this week to switch the process kit marketing site processkit.com from a static site which which i had built with jekyll it was hosted on netlify i i swallowed my pride and i moved it on back to wordpress went back to wordpress <laughs> it's the same site what bothers me about it is that the site is still basically a static site like all the pages on on the site are like they're not dynamically generated through the CMS and WordPress. The only reason is, is just to have blog articles that are powered by WordPress so that I could delegate to my team to actually set up and publish blog articles. Because without that, they have to send me the Google Docs and then I put them into HTML and, and push them to, you know, to the server and, and deploy them and all that. Like, so just to have the blog posts on WordPress, you have to have the whole site on it because of the the domain. Basically, yeah, the domain. Okay. Yeah, you could hear people. <laughs> I, I could hear. I could. I could hear people tapping the tweets to me right now. Oh, oh, did you try this CMS? Oh, but what if you just hook this up with that? What What if you just try Next.js and do this headless CMS and, and hook it around the back end of this and that? It's like, oh my because god, it's dude. true. <laughs> and and by the way, like I think the internet probably needs just a couple more CMSs. Please build more CMSs. I'm clearly being sarcastic about that. It's just like a ridiculous amount of like, everyone's trying to build like the next simplest CMS. What Literally, they all do the same things, but yes. In a slightly different way. <laughs> yeah, slightly different way. I, I was on uh, Netlify and, and it was a Jekyll powered static site so i tried like like netlify cms thing and like it's just still too cl- on the static side of things it's still too clunky to be able to delegate to somebody else to log in and then preview the article and all that so i did g- end up going back to wordpress and it was annoying to me because like i didn't want to redesign the site or anything i just wanted to make the blog articles like dynamic through wordpress and that literally cost me like probably four full days of porting that over that hurts. So it, it it really does hurt. Like I because I have a lot of like really big product things that I'm trying to push forward that I just had to put on hold for most of this week. And that it, that shit just really frustrates me. You know, sometimes you just have to let out some blood to the SEO gods. That's just yeah. what you got to do. Because I have some blog content that that is rolling out now. Like we're now we're starting to finish up a, a whole batch of of articles and case study blog posts and and content hubs and stuff. And like it's these things need to be published 
And so I was like, all right, let me just spend this week getting that squared away so that the rest of the fall, I could just have the team actually publish this stuff. You know, tricky, tricky. All right, let's see. My, my next thing is around hiring and interviewing. So in the past, I've let the team lead run hiring for their team, especially around engineering. I really don't have that much to add. I think the best thing that I add in the process for engineering is to spell out this big, exciting vision so that the individual engineer understands their contribution to the bigger picture and to make that bigger picture exciting and worth working on for for years. On the engineering side, I feel like that's the best thing I can do. But on the customer-facing roles, I should have more to say and more to add. We're hiring for support right now in anticipation of, you know, higher volume once we get into the app store. And it's pretty obvious that the company has a tendency to be nice. We're, we're all nice. Like we've optimized for good, nice people. Like there's no high performing jerks. There's nothing like that. So we're working with Greg at Dynamite Jobs, which I've talked about in the past, and they did a ridiculously good job on the engineering side. We hired a whole team. We hired you know nine engineers within like 45 days. And we, we went through a lot of applicants. We didn't just like choose anyone. So we said, let's just keep going. Let's, let's go with support with, with them also. And they did a similar job. They took hundreds. I think it was something like 400 applicants and brought us two. And the applicants were through Dynamite Jobs or, or elsewhere? So what they do, part of their service is to post it onto the sites that you want it posted on. Right. Okay. So they're cool. still posting on WeWork Remotely because we've had success there. And then they're managing the applicants that come through there. So it's really like an augmentation of your process as opposed to a completely foreign process that they're running on their own that you don't have any transparency into. Like it's your accounts on these individual sites that they're posting and then managing the intake. They're also posting on other sites that we normally don't because they've had good luck there. And so why not? We're open to that. Yeah. Um, I just had a good conversation with uh, with Dan Andrews uh, on my other podcast, Productized Podcast. I saw you tweet about that. And that's probably going to be like my last episode there for, for a while because I'm not spending time on that. But he, yeah, he was talking about how they're, they're right now, they're sort of making that pivot into like with Dynamite Jobs and, and they're getting into this sort of like, we, we've talked about it here, like a productized service around helping you with that hiring process. So you'll have to ask them about this. But at some point we had a conversation. I was in need, right? I didn't want the team to do everything on hiring and I didn't want to pay for a traditional recruiter, which is, is really too expensive for a startup. Mm-hmm. It's crazy expensive. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Like, look, if you have no choice and you raise 20 million bucks, you need to hire 100 people. You, you kind of have no choice. It's, it's built into the cost because you literally can't get it done yourselves. For us, it's like we could do it ourselves. We just don't want to, but we, we don't want to pay 20% of someone's salary, which is just too much. So I remember having the conversation and I was like, Greg, I will pay X amount right now for it. <laughs> and not surprisingly, that's like, their pricing. Sold. <laughs> oh, oh, good. Because that's exactly our price point. Yes. So, so my bad on the negotiation there. And now that's everybody's pricing. Um, or I'm sure it's just a data point. I sort of do the same thing all the time when I'm, when I'm sort of talking to a new contractor that I might work with. I end up getting to a point where I'm just like, look, can we just make the scope of this? And this is the the price that I would like to pay yes. for that. And- <laughs> I, I was like, this is my no-brainer price. If you give it to me at this price and do all the stuff we just talked about, I'm sold. 
So it's not like I feel stupid for it. It's just kind of funny. They did a great job on the support. It was like 400 applicants and they brought us two, which means they're, they're doing a lot of work to get to those two. And then we interview them and not surprisingly, they're both great. And, and we want to hire two. But we then set up an interview with the team lead. And that's the interview I think that matters like most. And then that team lead is then setting up a group interview with three of us in the company and plus the applicant or candidate, whatever you want to call it. And in that interview, I feel our tendency. We're just, we want to be nice. But this decision is like a thousand decisions in one, right? It has repercussions with leverage. If the person's amazing, the resulting like delta is huge for the company. And if they're bad, the resulting delta is also huge on the back. You're saying like this group interview, they they didn't what grill the candidate enough or like you're not vetting enough? Well, yeah, my, my concern is that there's that the questions that we're asking, not that they don't have a point, but they're not driving toward what we want to figure out. What do you want to figure out? Well, that's the thing. The first thing to determine is, well, what do we want to figure out? What type of person and, and why and what makes sense as opposed to just competent and, and nice. So we look for culture fit and our, our culture fit is kind of like, a nice, optimistic, happy person. And that, that might sound like thin, but it really matters. If you are naturally optimistic and curious, it leads to like happiness, even in times of stress. And you see this big giant challenge as like, I'm going to learn a lot from this as opposed to, oh, this is annoying. I don't want to do this. So, so disposition really does matter. So what, what, when we say culture fit, we're really talking about disposition. I just feel like our tendency is like, we like them. Let's make them an offer. I'm worried that we just drive toward that without, it does feel like additional rigor, additional thoroughness in the hiring process. It might hurt a little bit because it's less human, but I, I think we need to find a bit more balance because we're, we're really, we're like overly human where this decision is so big. I think I'm, I sometimes suffer from the same thing. Like myself, if, if I'm interviewing someone and hiring them directly. I think in the past I have made that mistake before. I think sometimes not so much recently in, in audience ops, but like in, in a few years ago, there were like a few like really talented, energetic types. And I, and I tend to like relate personally to those types of people, but when they get dropped into like a team atmosphere with a, with a process oriented system, they don't, they don't work so well in that. And that, that has broken down in the past, you know, we are hiring right now for another manager in, in audience ops. And for a long time now, I've been pretty removed from the whole interviewing process. Somebody else on my team, like our, our longtime manager there, she goes through the applicants and interviews people and then she writes notes. And so it has worked out fine for us, but like almost like my emotion has been sort of taken out of it a little bit. I'm basically making the final hiring decision solely off of like her bullet point notes and and the original application and comparing like you know pluses and minuses of like three or four different different applicants and it's like uh, like I, I trust her opinion on the on the personality fit and then i'm just like do all the other pieces seem to fit here then yeah let's, let's yeah I, I i think i had it wrong for a while because i was not getting involved until the last interview so 
it felt like people were looking to me to make the final decision to like own the decision. And I was fine with that. But by the time they got to me, they had done an interview, potentially two interviews and a group interview with, with their team or the people they would work most closely with. And then when it got to me, it's real hard for me to be like, actually, I've decided no. I, I talked to this person for 30 minutes. You've already done all these week, weeks of work, figured out what would make sense for them, what their situation is, salary requirements, all that stuff. And then for me to just at the very, very end of the process, be like, nah, I don't feel like it, like isn't realistic. It's almost like they're looking at me to make the final call, but the final call is kind of already made for me. And so the final call isn't really being made by anyone, not an accountable. This is a difficult decision and it's on you. Like no one ever actually gets that. Making a, a brilliant hire can have such a huge positive impact yes, the for leverage. the company. Yes, and same the other way. Uh, one bad hire could be toxic. You know, it's tough for them because they're they're quitting a job and starting something new, and that is that's not to be taken lightly. You know, people's livelihoods. You can't just like, oh, it didn't work out ninety days later, and just boot them and not care. And then other people in the company are watching how you behave in this situation. It affects the working environment for the other people. It is it is huge, but there's something that bothers me when people take pride in like, I interview 60 people for every position. Like you're a dick, you know, that's like too much. So we want to find something in in the middle. Yeah, totally. I want to talk a little bit about something that's been on my mind. It's been on my mind for many years, actually. Like what am I like 12 years into this self-employment career here in the last few years, there've been moments every one or two or three years or so where where I just start to think really, really big picture. And, and, you know, right now I'm in one of these phases, you know, process kit is, is in its sort of like an early, a very early stage, you know, a couple thousand like MRR here. And, and so I'm starting to think about, obviously I'm, I'm focused on, on the day-to-day grind of, of growing process kit, but I think Jason Fried had, had a really good quote a while back, or maybe a whole article about it. Like, you know, your best product that you're going to build is your company. It's not any single product. It's it, at a certain point you just start to think about the type of your your company as the product that you're building, and and I'm really starting to think a lot more about that right now. And I'm sort of like, what what I'm trying to do honestly is is settle into the business that's going to occupy the next many years of of my career here. Like this, this is getting really big picture and deep here for a second, but like. For the last 12 years, it's been, all right, let me do some consulting here. Let me try this product idea there. And let me try this idea here. And, and oh, this, this seems to work out. This'll, this can stair-step me from point A to point B and then point B to point C. But each of those things has been a, like a, anywhere from like a three to five year thing if, if it was successful. But, it, but none of those things ever really felt like this is the thing that I could, that I could sink 10, 15 plus years into. And what I'm trying to do now is just optimize because I have the space, financial space to, to think and breathe about, like, I don't need to be super reactionary about like, just get the thing that's going to, that's going to pay the bills this month, you know? So the other day I've got this little business journal that I've been keeping for many years now. When, whenever I have a lot of thoughts swirling around my head, I start to just try to write them down to try to make sense of, of what's in my head. And so I thought I would share one thing that I, that I jotted down. I wrote like, what kind of company do I want to build, right? And I just made a, a quick bullet bullet list here. You know, we operate with the bootstrapped and profitable ethos. 
I, I've been 100% bootstrapped up until now. I, I, I think that would be it for the foreseeable future. I'm not against, you know, taking outside investment whenever that makes sense, but we all know what, what I'm talking yeah. about here. Like, yeah, not, not the VC version. We're a small team doing big things. I'm trying to build a company that remains small. We don't just hire for, for the hell of it. Uh, we don't just grow a headcount for the hell of it but we're doing really big things. We're a calm company. I, I have gone through phases where things are not so calm and it sucks, but I, I like sinking in like 35, 40 good hours a week. We spend the bulk of our time creating and, and collaborating. We build a few great products. I don't know what a few means. Maybe that's one, maybe that's three or five. A few products that people really love. SaaS, you know, software, SaaS obviously is, is like the primary focus and, and the business model for this company. You know, SaaS would be the business model, but the products that we make, which could be both free and, and paid products, they, they might end up taking several forms. So software tools, community conferences, podcasts, books, that bullet might, might not make sense, but just, you know, I'm trying to th- separate the idea of, of products from, from the idea of building a company as, as the I thing. I think that's an important distinction. And, uh, and, you know, the, the thing that makes it value, really valuable, I think, would be the SaaS, the, the software products. On the marketing side, there's a lot of things that that can work, obviously, but just generally speaking, bigger picture, I, I, w- I would love to have the marketing just be driven by community, like fostering a community around the problems that, that we solve, our, our views, the, the goals of, of this community, and, and have products that support that. And just bringing more people together, you know. And then the the last point that I had is, can I just clarify that one thing on the marketing? You're making a distinction there between like some companies just don't constantly market and sell. They just kind of grow through the community and word of mouth. And I think about what Josh from Bear Metrics has been talking about lately, where he's kind of like, he's addressing something as a bit you know, prickly around just like there's just so much selling. There's so much marketing. You know, there's just a lot of that. Are you saying that ideally speaking, it's not like that? Well, so so I'm not for or against any particular tactics. Aside from the obvious goal of marketing, which is to grow traffic and leads and sales, I think the the bigger goal should be to build community. The people who who love our products should be in touch with each other. We need to connect them. And the more that you do that, the more... Um, it's like you become resilient. It's, it's like a force multiplier on all, mm-hmm. of your, on all of your marketing efforts, right? Like, Yeah. And you become resilient because you, you don't depend on Google. You don't depend on ads. You have less dependencies. This makes me think of uh, you know, Christopher Glimmer from Snappa. I think he, he's built a similar type of company to what you're describing. I also think of... Uh, I think his name is Amir. He runs Todoist. Just a successful, calm, remote company that's been at it for 10 plus years. And if, we, if you put that type of effort in over a long period of time and you build a community and you build products that you're proud of, like a lot of times it starts to work on itself and then it starts to compound. And next thing you know, it- The whole point of building any products is to, is to solve a problem and help people achieve some goal. And when all your customers have that same problem and that same goal, they want to connect with each other so that they could all get better at this thing, achieve this goal together. Have you been watching what's happening with Notion and, and Rome research? Yes. 
Yeah, interesting stuff, right? They are going the VC path. I feel like they got so much money thrown at them because of what they hit onto. But those communities are wildly enthusiastic. That's such a such a fantasy. Literally, like people can't wait to go tell all of Twitter how much they love yes. Notion or, or love Rome. And, you know? and now you start to see businesses being built on top of the platform. A, a new company called Super. It's like the coolest thing I've ever seen. It just makes notion very customizable and on its own domain so like you could see people starting to sell courses is that the type of the community that you have in mind yeah, yes exactly like like consultants to help you build better things with with our products it looks like so much fun definitely pressure but fun i would love to have a company where where we do a conference or two a year you know and bring our, our customers together and when people can travel again after after the pandemic but like and you know, like like a lot of uh, remote software companies do, they you know they do uh, uh, retreats and meetups in, in fun places around the world. Like I would love to build a company where we're doing that sort of thing. I would assume that this company would continue to to be fully remote and working from everywhere. But I would like it to be the type of company where it just makes sense for the business and for us working together and building great things that we're getting together in person several times a year in, in really fun places, you know? Yeah. That's, um, that's fun. You know, so it's like, it, it's sort of just me like dreaming and, and writing, writing out these things of what I want to do. But like, we are self-employed building businesses for a reason. We're trying to be intentional about what we're trying to build. And, and that's what I'm basically doing here. Of course, the path to, to building all of this, I don't know how much of it would come true or can come true, but I'm just trying to think through like, what are the things that I can do today to take me further down the path to, to building something like this in the next few years, you know? Yeah. I think the longevity piece is necessary. Just there's something around our age, at least for a lot of people that you, you want to sink your teeth into something for a while. Like yes. just let me see if this works is not appealing. Like I want to commit to this to something for the long term. In my twenties, it was like let's just throw this idea and see what happens. And if it was it, interesting, and if if nothing else, I'm gonna I'm gonna learn a ton. And I did learn a ton. You know, I'm still learning, obviously. But here in my late thirties, I'm thinking about like what can I be working on now through my forties. Uh, yeah, it's almost like you know? this is like not your life's work, but something more meaningful. And I feel like we're in our prime here. If, if I think if you think about like a like an NBA player or whatever. It would, who would not be in their 40s, they'd be in their... Yes, know. for them, the, pr the prime is different. I wouldn't want to be hitting the stride that I'm at now when I'm like 50, 55. Yes, but, yes. You know, exactly, no, exactly. no offense to folks who are a little bit older <laughs> listening to this. No, like, absolutely not. Um, of course, you could do anything. At, at, we have friends who, who do stuff at that. You know, oh, but yeah. like, I, I just think that like in terms of like skill set and experience where I'm at now, I, I feel like I'm in a really good place to do something cool here. And... But a lot of what's on my mind too is is the fact that I've been a solo founder for for all of this time, and there've been there've been moments where I talk to potential partners. I, I have partnered up with people on on short short term stuff. You and I have partnered on this podcast. You know, partnered with my buddy Brad on on uh, you know Big Snow Tiny Comp and like things like that. But whatever, maybe, maybe it's luck, maybe maybe it's this or that or lack thereof. But like. I never really made it work with a business partner on a long-term co-investment. A lot of the challenge, I, I don't know the answer to this, but the challenge is the timing of it for both parties. You know? It has to work for two people, completely different lives. Yeah. And it's not just about 
finding the, the, the right match of skill set. We're all friends with plenty of people who have the perfect skill set to partner up, but very, yeah, very few line up. But most of them are, are already deep into their company or, or they're tied up in some other thing. And it, it just doesn't make timing sense. And, and so it's like you got to find someone like who, who's kind of crossing that transition path right around the, the same time you are. Yeah, you need things to line up or, or the ability to make them line up within a relatively short time frame. Yeah. Yep. For me, when I think about this stuff, I think about Jason Cohen's essay on Rich or King. Have you read that? That I think I did a while back, yeah. It's really good. It's, he wasn't sure what he wanted. And then when he got presented with a life-changing offer for his company, he really had to think about, well, money is great, but all these other things that make me effectively like the king version, running a company, being a boss, having all these people around, being excited by the work and the people you work with, the office that you go into, the people that you can help and mentor, like all these things that are on the king side would go away. And so, right, he, he talks about like having lunch with someone and like digging into a chili relena. I, I definitely read this too many times. Um, <laughs> But, you know, you think you want one thing and then someone makes you an offer across the table that you, you really have to reconsider everything. So I think about the Richard King and going into Cardhook, I was pretty sure I was just interested in Rich. The way the experience has gone, the, the King side of it, the experience and working with other people and working on something you care about and, and doing it for the long term and wanting to see it continue completely changed. And now that sounds so much more interesting where it's like, eh, maybe there's something in between. You take some money off the table here. Like, it's almost like you don't want to do nothing. To just have money and then do nothing right now at our age, it's, it's just, it's literally uninteresting. You would be, you would get bored immediately. And then you would immediately look for, well, what do I want to sink my teeth into? So there's a balance between those two, but it definitely feels like what you're, what you're talking about right now is, okay, what, what characteristics do I want this business and my life to have? We're, we're entrepreneurs. We're trying to build something of value and, and make money. And, and, but for, really, it's more about long-term value. What, what has always driven me now more than ever is like I need to really love what I'm doing every single day. And I do right now, you know, building product, and I, and I really love sinking my teeth in, into into the product and talking to customers and and designing software. That's what I'm getting the most energy out of. I really feel like for the longest time I, I've lacked a true collaborator on this stuff. I hire people. I could hire contractors. I could hire full time people, um, and they can be great and they can be uh, close to that level of collaboration but it's not the same as like an equity co-investor. Like a lot of it is just like the, the strategic decision-making it, when it's, when it's just all you all the time, it, it has a, it, it, there's a weight to it. That, <laughs> that's hard to. Yeah. It's, it's a different experience for, for sure. I mean, you never know how it works out, right? My CTO rock, we hired him as a first engineer in Slovenia. I had no idea what that was going to lead into. You know, he's like my best friend now. We talk constantly and he has a really solid piece of the company in terms of equity and we'll have more in the future. And it's turned into a collaboration co-founder type relationship from an unexpected 
path. But you, you do come across certain people and you're like, I just want to work with you. Let's just figure out what we need to do here. There are some of those people and sometimes it's worth taking that shot at, at trying to work with those people. Yeah. Yeah. And so actually you and I talked offline last, the reason there wasn't a podcast was because we, we just kept talking about this hit record. <laughs> um, but last week, you know, one of the things that, that was a little bit of a, a change in my thinking was in the past, whenever I thought about working with a partner on a business, I always just assumed that that other partner would be the technical person. And I would, I would be the non technically the, the non-technical. Okay. Um, I feel like that is flipped now, which is super interesting. I honestly feel like I'm I'm much more interested and much more valuable being the product guy. Obviously, I, I do code and and build and, and things, and I like working with the engineers on on scoping out products. But if I were to partner with someone, I would be more interested in in like partnering up with somebody on on the marketing side. Getting back to we were talking about building community, just somebody to drive all that effort that's involved and not just like executing tactics. You could, you could hire contractors all day to run ads for you, to run, to run content for you. I'm, I'm talking about like a collaborator on, on all the things, but their drive driving force is building the community and the, and the branding and the, and, and the exposure and my driving force is working on the product. You know, I always think of it like a, like a Venn diagram you know, always collaborating on all the things, but one person is driving and, and you know, one side, but it's, yeah. um, those, those people are tough to find. Exactly. They're, they're even tougher to find than a technical co-founder. Yes, that's, that's right. On Twitter these days, like my, like it's entertainment, sure. And learning, but my radar is for talent. Like I am trying to figure out where, like, where are these people? And you, you see glimpses of it. And it's usually too late. They usually have a big enough audience because their talent has kind of broken through that you you can't get them. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right, man. You know, like because it's yeah. the the people, especially when you're talking about quote unquote marketers. There's a million marketers out there, marketing consultants, freelancers. They're not like developers. You can't really evaluate their work they could claim all these things about what kind of growth they, they brought to their previous company. You never know exactly what the marketer actually did in that. And it, what, what's more interesting is, is to, is to work with the people who, who've really built something significant, like, like you said, but at that point they're, they're off it's, and running. That's you know? right. Yeah. There, there are too many opportunities. Like there's, there's this one, uh, a woman, Emily Singer, I think her name is she, I think she runs a newsletter called chips and dips and she's, Perfect. And I reached out to her. She's like, nah, <laughs> just too many opportunities. I think the single biggest source of uncovering talent is Substack. I got to get on this. Everyone keeps talking about it. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm in the dark on Substack. I, I sort of know what it is, but Substack lowered the barrier to entry for a newsletter all the way down to zero. It was already at zero, but somehow Substack has made it sub-zero. I don't really understand so how. I, so I don't subscribe to anyone on it. I technically get what the product does. How, how, does, it, how does it help with finding talent? So it used to be, I'm going to start a blog and that's how people are going to get to know my ideas. And now it's, I'm going to start a newsletter. And it has invigorated that version of sharing ideas through written word and building an audience through email and because it's Wild West right now, a lot of people are getting into that 
Is it all paid? Everybody's newsletter is paid or are there are free ones? No, it just gives the, it gives the creator the option of having things behind a paywall. So most people who have paid Substacks have a free version and then a paid version. Some people have straight up only paid, but a lot of people, you know, it's like anything else. You, you want to show some good stuff and then hold back the very best. And some people go, are using it totally free and plan to monetize later. So you, you can decide what to, when to turn on monetization. So you're and, saying that you, you just subscribe to a bunch of them and that's how you get to know like what people are putting out. I just, I just wait to see who I ignore <laughs> and who I, who I open. Yeah. Because it's really easy to subscribe and unsubscribe. Like you have a Substack thing and you can just unsubscribe to eight people at once. Tick, 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 and you're done. So when someone on Twitter has something and they have a Substack, I just subscribe and then I, I test myself and I see if I'm opening their stuff. And if I'm just not, then I've lost interest. But if, they, if I'm, I'm going back in, then I, I get drawn in and I start to build the psychological relationship with them. And I'm like, if I'm building that with them and I have a very high filter because I'm busy AF, then they can do that to other people also. And if they can do that through written word over email, then like I want them on my team because I, I want to give them a megaphone to spread it much, much, much bigger and amplify it. Very cool. So we just talked in theory about what, 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 what this future company that I'm trying to build could, could maybe look like, but there's not a, a lot that I could just go do and make that happen tomorrow. The, the one thing that, that I feel like I need to uh, get better at is just to stay in touch with people that I know and like and respect. Because again, getting back to that timing thing, you never know when, when people might be crossing paths into a situation where it might make sense. So I know a lot of really great people, hung out with them at conferences, we, we tweet at each other and, and, and all this different stuff. But like, especially with the pandemic, w- without in-person meetups, I'm trying to make a point now to just hit up friends of mine and say, hey, let's hop on a Zoom and catch up. What are you working on? And there's no agenda, just... And, and I've been doing that with, with more people and trying to do that like, you know, once a month to just like get, get back in touch with people so that uh, just to keep those relationships going. You know? It's tough. This is what everyone always wants, a personal CRM. And, and it's literally never worked. <laughs> but I hear you. It just the number of relationships you can keep going on at the same time and keep them warm. I think I have a pretty high uh, ability to do that. So and you're, it, you're like this networker person who's like really good at this sort of thing. To, oh, I think we me, talked about this last week that that's what I do for work. That is what I do for work. I keep a, a million, not a million, not as many as I want, but I keep a bunch of relationships going all at the same time. And it is valuable. My whole life, going back to when I was younger, like I've always been a small, small group of friends type of person. Like we've got our little group here we and, and, and we're close and we hang out. But but I'm not the guy who has a hundred plus friends doing different things all the time. And, uh, but on social media in these cir- in these circles in our little industry yeah, here, that opportunity. like we do have, and we do know sort of that many people through, through tweets and through conferences and stuff, but you don't go deep. You know, it's, it's, it's very surface level. I've been DMing with other people who, who say the same thing where it's just awkward. Like, what are you going to do? Like, like, Hey, let's just have a call just for no reason. Like, cause, cause these days when, when, when everything's remote, it's like, if you're going to get on a call with somebody, all right, well, what's the agenda for this call? What, what are we, what, why are we talking today? You know? Yes. That's why people are surprised by how many calls I do a week. And 
they don't all have agendas and some of them are, the agendas are tiny, but you find things. And the way I do it is I keep things, I go deep immediately. I just show vulnerability immediately. I don't say, hey, how's it going? I go, here's all the real shit that's happening on my side. How are you doing? And then people are like, oh, I don't have to keep up any facade. Like, here's what's really going on with me. Because everyone's got, everyone's got their facade and everyone's got, here's what I'm really worried about. And I just share what I'm really worried about with a lot of people. And then you have this like team of people rooting for you and they feel they can be vulnerable back. And it's, it's like this podcast. It's not highlights. It is the opposite. That's literally how I view this podcast. Like, yes. that, that, that's why I say shit like this today is <laughs> it's like, I don't really have anywhere else to like spew it out into the internet except for this microphone. So yes, <laughs> you know, yes. So I have the people that I'm close with have a more accurate and fuller picture of where I'm at, as opposed to people who are just viewing from the outside and thinking, oh, Kartok's doing really well. Jordan just must be happy all the time and rolling around in money. Like that, you don't connect with that. That's that's not true and it's no fun. So the people like other business owners, like like Glimmer that I talk to, and I, I my Twitter DMs are very long. There's a big list in there, but it's, it's just because it's just trust through vulnerability and honesty and yeah, uh, yeah, man, that work, it works. This is real. Cool. Woo. All right. Well, well, let's end it with something fun. We started doing uh, this thing in Slack. We now have a fully distributed team. We have people from all over the world. We have 27 people. It's kind of like, how do we get to know each other here? We started doing this thing on Fridays called like Snap Friday. You just go in and you find a picture from your camera roll and just post it and with a quick explanation of what it is. <laughs> nice. And it is so simple and so much fun. So right today I posted my daughters with their cousins and explained how they just moved into town. And Rock showed how they made like this crazy charcuterie spread for his girlfriend's sister. And someone else, something like a, a new game uh, for a game night with their friends. And so we have people from all over the world. So it's like, here's the sunset in Croatia. Here's my daughter and I riding our bikes by the beach in Portugal. It's That's just cool. like, it feels like fun. And it's so simple. There's, there's no app. There's no, it's literally just post a picture from your camera roll with a little explanation. And then all the, you know, e emojis people add on. And then you have the side conversations for each one in Slack. And yep, it's, yep. it's cool. Everyone gets to share their personal life and it's, it's just dead simple. Yeah. We, we, we do that from time to time in audience ops, but not, uh, not as consistent as we used to. We should more. You know, we have Shauna internally who's like our like social chair. So she like yeah. promotes this stuff and does the happy hours and it's, it's so much fun. It's great. Very cool. That's it. Ian Landsman asked a good question. What is your current hobby? Yeah. Choice? What's the hobby? What do you got? Cooking. Yeah. I got I no room for, I don't have much room for anything else. And some, somehow in quarantine, what happened was I used to go to the office and get back at about 5.30. And by then my wife had dinner started and she'd like basically lead the charge. And then I would clean up after dinner. Somehow I now make the dinner and clean the dinner. We didn't flip. I just kept the original <laughs> roll and added the other one. But I've had so much fun with cooking dinner because when you do something repetitively, you can get better. 
So if you keep doing it and I just made this dish last week and I know I messed up this thing so I can tweak a little and it's so satisfying to make progress, especially with food because then people eat it and they're like, oh, it's really good. Yeah, so that's, that's, my, that's my hobby, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, my hobby, you know, continues to be music. I, I've got a, a home recording studio down in the basement that I, I've been slowly rebuilding over the last couple of years. And uh, just, just a couple of months ago, I picked up a, uh, a new guitar, which is you, which you is did really, buy the guitar, yeah, yeah, uh, Gibson ES three thirty five, and it's uh, it's really really nice. And so like just like <laughs> just just having that like has been like really re-energized that whole thing. And I've been like writing songs and and composing a lot of like instrumental music for for a long time, but I've been out of it for a while, and I still feel like rusty with like I I feel like when I was younger I was a lot I just had better ideas for for stuff. And so I'm trying to spend more time. I, I I tend to do it a little bit more on the weekends, but of course you you know you're balancing that with family time and stuff like that. But it's it's also been fun because my kids like are 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 taking piano lessons, and so they're they're into music now too, and they can they can like sort of like see what I'm doing down there and play around with the synthesizers and stuff like oh, that. And cool. It's been kind of fun. Nice man, that's great. Yeah. Well, it was a good show. Thanks everyone for listening. Brian's SoundCloud will be linked up in the show notes. <laughs> See ya. All right. Later.